Welcome to episode 307 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever given away an hour or more of free advice because someone asked to quote unquote, pick your brain, only to have that person hire someone else? You're not the only one that's happened to. It's something I've helped a lot of my coaching clients overcome. The good news is the solution is simple. You just have to ask a single magical question. Head to robbysamuels.com forward slash magical, and I'll send the info you need to change a pick your brain conversation into a prospect call. Again, that's robbysamuels.com forward slash magical. I would love to hear how this works for you. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest can show you what to say and when to say it in a way that feels comfortable and confident to you and to your potential client. With over 25 years of selling experience, entrepreneurs and small business owners now hire her to show them how to sell successfully and authentically. She is the CEO of Sales Maven and has the unique ability to positively transform the often misunderstood selling process. Nikki has written three books, including The Selling Staircase, Mastering the Art of Relationship Selling, and hosts the Sales Maven podcast. Please join me in welcoming Nikki Rausch. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Nikki, thanks so much for joining us from your place in Boise, Idaho. Thrilled to have you here. And uh, shout out to Julie Fry for helping connect us. This is a show about building strong networks. And the context, though, is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, how I define leadership, I'm going to say it's a it's an evolving definition for me, but how I define it right now today is that it is about holding holding the the outcome, holding the goal in mind and essentially building the team and trusting and empowering them to contribute while keeping the 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 forward momentum and the goal clearly in mind. Um, so that's how I'm defining leadership right now. Today. I love it. I'm hearing like the ideas around like vision, trust, mm-hmm. and empowerment Absolutely. being part of this. Really yes. like not letting things go off course, trusting people are going to do their piece, but empowering them to step up in that role, giving them the opportunity to do more. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds also like it's a, it's a living thing, like not a static experience. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, for sure. I keep thinking about... Um, I'm a, a huge Brene Brown person. I love her so much. And sometimes uh, I've heard her say this multiple times where it's like, she's, I think she says this, and please forgive me if I quote misquote her because I love her so much and I would hate to do that. But she says, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. And I, I think of leadership around that as well too, is it's, it's not about me. It's not about like, uh, there's, I, I will say leadership in my opinion means check your ego at the door. So it's not about your ego. It's not about people elevating you in any way. It's more about just holding the vision and the goal and keeping like keeping some parameters and some boundaries so that we keep people moving in the right direction. And I truly, truly believe that your job as a leader is to support and empower your people 
and trust them to do the right thing. Yeah. When did you start to realize you had some of these leadership qualities? Well, you know, my first experience with leadership came in high school. I was on the dance team. And when I decided to try out for the, they called it the, um, the officers. So your, your job was to like be in charge of the dance team. I tried out for the activities coordinator. Now that sounds like it's going to be a fun thing, but really what it was is it was, uh, I was in charge of all the fundraising activities. Now, prior to me getting this position, all the other activity coordinators before me, their moms ran the like fundraising activities, but I didn't have that type of home life. So I had to take that task on and I felt a huge sense of responsibility of creating these fundraising opportunities for the girls on the team to earn enough money to go on our trips, to pay for their uniforms. And, you know, so it was a way for them because I didn't come from a very, uh, like there wasn't a lot of money around, you know, so these girls, including me, like I couldn't, this was how I earned my way to being able to support myself through this, this process. So it was, I felt a huge sense of responsibility of putting opportunities in front of people so that they could achieve what they needed to achieve. I'm getting glimpses also of like Girl Scouts and how there are families that make a business of selling Girl Scout cookies on behalf of their kid. (laughs) versus the that kid who's definitely actually doing it all themselves. Yeah. It's like a, such a different enterprise when you're like your parents take the form into the office and sell 200 boxes in 20 minutes. Um, but it, it sounds like you put yourself out there to take on a really big task that previously wasn't just in the hands of a student, but was actually something that the family really helped support. I'm curious who you were even prior to that moment to to put yourself in that position to, to say, I want to try this. I want to do this. I believe I can do this. What were you like on the, on the playground and, you know, <laughs> primary school or, you know, did you like organize friends for things that back then, like, I don't know, did you, did you have a run for anything before that? No, I really, I, I, I tend to be very shy by nature and I was a very, very shy kid. I was raised by primarily raised by my father and I have three brothers, no sisters. And my dad is a misogynist, like straight up women were not highly regarded in our house. There was a lot of negative um, connotations around females. And so I, ra- I, I really was kind of raised in this environment of trying to be pleasing. I wanted to please, I had to kind of be quiet. I had to smile and, you know, all those things. And so it did cause me to be again, kind of shy, not really wanting to be the like loudest person in the class or any of that. But at the same time, I had three really rough and tumble brothers. So I had to, I had to toughen up, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't sit in the corner. Actually, I did sit in the corner often and play Barbies, but that was always by myself. And if I wanted to play with the others, I had to be out playing war and, you know, like guns and, you know, the whole thing of the very male energy. So yeah, that's my answer. I definitely was not. Yeah. I mean, so I love talking with um, established leaders, established professionals who the the way I know you is how you are today. Right. (laughs) And, and no one sees who you are today and thinks shy little girl in the corner playing by herself while her brother's rough and tumble nearby who has a father who diminishes the value of women and girls 
who doesn't want to like be anything other than wallpaper like that. That's not like I look at you. I don't see any of that history. And I love that we get to share a little of that because then people listening can think, oh, I some of that really resonates with me and my upbringing. Like, these are really challenging things to have happen at such a, a early stages of life. But it seems like to go from that to this moment in high school where knowing you're not going to have a parent in your corner, like doing the work, but essentially you raised your hand to be part of something. And did you actually have to run against people to take this? Like, was this a competitive position? You or did was have this to like... be voted in. Yes. Wow. So you did have to. Yes. So you had to be voted in for it. I think I've been, most of my life have been pretty good at building relationships. Like, and I do it kind of in a one-on-one type connection. So I did have girls that believed in me. And I will say that our, the, um, the woman who was our coach for the dance team was, became a real mentor to me. She kind of took me under her wing and she was somebody who showed me that she believed I could do something. She believed that I was capable of this. And I think it was like her belief in me and I wanted to rise to the occasion. That's really probably the truth of it is I just wanted to, I wanted to feel like I deserved the type of kind of love that she poured all over me to, you know, support and encourage me. And I just wanted to rise to the occasion. It's so powerful. The impact that a mentor can have and particularly that age, but any age and and having a belief in us that we don't yet have and seeing a vision of what our life can be that we, we can't see for ourselves. It's like they're seeing around the corner and then you're like, um, okay, I guess I'll trust you. <laughs> like, we'll try that. Um, when you were that age, did you have a good sense of where you were going to go next? Was college even part of the plan? Was, was, a, was it getting a job next? Like what was sort of in the, you know, 12 to 16 years old, where were you thinking you were going to be? I didn't know if I could go to college. Cause again, I, I didn't come from a family where there was no money for college. So if I was going to go to college, I was going to have to pay for it on my own or end up with a huge amount of student debt. And, uh, I knew I wanted to go to college because I wanted to change my life. I will say that I didn't want to relive the childhood and the, like the way that my parents lived. I just didn't want that, that life for me. And actually at the age when I was in high school, I wasn't even living at home. I an aunt and uncle took me in and let me live with them just to graduate high school. <laughs> so there was I I was always pretty fiercely independent because I didn't really feel like I had anybody to rely on. So there was that and I knew that college was like the way to get out of kind of you know put myself in a different position where I didn't have to rely on people and I wasn't going to be trying to scrape by all the time and and then at you know my first year of college, I decided to get married and I moved to Washington State. And everybody was like, "Oh, you're just going to get pregnant. You're going to you know not finish college." I like to prove people wrong. There's a little bit of that in my personality, so I was like, "I'm absolutely going to finish college." And so I did. And luckily, because I married somebody who was in the military, you know, I got you know residency in the state that allowed for me to just pay as I went through my college. And so I didn't come out with a bunch of student loans. And from there, I got my first professional sales job. It was actually through a college project that I got hired. And and then at some point, I got recognized at this company that I was working at as somebody that had some leadership qualities and they ended up, you know, 
putting me as a, a sales lead. And then eventually I became their national sales manager. And I was the only person they'd ever promoted from within the sales team to that level. They'd always hired out, you know, like gone out to seek people that had all this sales experience and this management experience. I had no management experience other than what I was doing in high school, you know, with this managing these group of girls and, you know, getting them to the fundraisers and, you know, working and all this stuff. So yeah, I just, I think I have had a lot of really great opportunities kind of come my way and I've taken advantage of them. Yeah. I think there's two things. One is you do good work. People recognize that work. They offer you another opportunity and then you say, yes, even if you're not sure if you can do it. And then you repeat that cycle Again, you do good work, people recognize that work, they offer you more opportunity and you say, okay, and you do do it despite your misgivings and then you do good work. (laughs) And it feels like you've been doing that. That's part of that independent streak. The no one can count on, you know, you can't count on other people, you gotta just learn to do it. But it sounds like you also have had a really good handle on how to build relationships. And maybe Mm -hmm. early on, this was really about one-on-one. So in some ways it's not surprising that when you had the opportunity to do something in college around sales that you you felt comfortable with the conversation part. I think the part that people get nervous around sales is that they think it's this like other thing. It's like not a conversation. It's not mm-hmm. about people. It's like this other thing you have to figure out how to do. And my background um, is actually in fundraising. And so I both was doing fundraising and running fundraising events and doing major gift work. So when I shifted into entrepreneurship full-time, I had some reservations about the sales piece until it dawned on me (laughs) that I have been having these one-on-one conversations and having people give me money with nothing back, like except the, you know, (laughs) I know that I've done something good in the world feeling. Yes. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) like it's relationships. Like the, the realization that I actually had that experience was interesting. I'm curious because sales is just one of these angst-ridden, I mean, I also teach networking, another one of these angst-ridden things. Yeah. Did you have reservations when you started in sales? Like think back to way in the beginning before you got really good at it. Like, did you have all the fears that everyone else has or yes. were you introduced? Oh, you did. Oh, that yes. makes you feel like oh you're gosh. human. Oh, well, that feels making me feel better. <laughs> yeah. How did you get over that? Like how, I mean, that's, that could be a wall right there and you would have yeah. never had this career. Well, I'll I'll say that when I, so I mentioned I got married at a pretty young age and moved to Washington state, kind of Seattle area. And I needed a job. Like I needed to get myself back into school and I needed a job. The And it was right before the holiday season. And so they were starting to put up like, um, you know, those kiosks in the mall, <laughs> not that they do this anymore. I don't know. I never go to the mall anymore, but you know, they used to put up like holiday kiosks in the mall where they'd sell products that they wouldn't normally sell the rest of the year. So I, there was this company and they sold leather goods and they, there was a job application, you know, or a job um, post in the, in the newspaper. This is the way back when this gives you some indication of my age. Um, and I applied for this, this position, this sales position. Cause I thought, well, you know, it's a minimum wage job. Like I can hang out at the mall. I can talk to people. It'd probably be fun. And, and it was the very first time that I ever had a commission component to a job. So they, you know, if you worked a certain number of hours, if you're going to work six hours, you had to sell a certain number of dollars, you know, dollars worth of stuff. And then once you hit your, your quota, they would start giving you commission. 
So I started making, and this was back when minimum wage was like, I think it was $5.25 an hour. It might have still been four or something. And I was making like three times my pay with commission. So I got really interested in this like, wait, my efforts can result in more money. And that's the sales component for me that was super exciting that really drove me to want to understand how to sell better. So that was kind of that first piece that really spiked that like, wait, I can make money doing this. And it's not based on who I know. It's based on my efforts. You know, it's not based on, it's just me like showing up and working hard and I'm a hard worker. So that was kind of the first piece of it. And Nikki, it's such a cool yeah. origin story because, for, and, I, and I know that I have an audience who knows what newspaper is, but I feel like if there's anyone listening, it's this paper thing that, <laughs> never mind. Okay. So, I mean, there is sort of this moment where you're like, I'll just take anything, but that yeah. anything job led you to understand the power of commission and the power of your ability to turn your time into money yeah. um, exponential, not yeah. just, I, I mean, I still remember when it was four and a quarter for, um, for the, uh, for, uh, I think it was three seventy five and four and a quarter. Like, I, I'm matching you on the age thing. I remember okay. not a lot of money, not, <laughs> not a, lot, a lot, of money. lot of money. And then, but, yeah. but I didn't have back then the ability to multiply that by three, you know, and that's what the commission was doing for you. Mm-hmm. And um, you start to see there's an art form to sales that it's that it's something you have an influence on, and it's not just the who you know, it's the what you're doing, and you are a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Where do you get training? Where do you go to get better at that process early on? Well, I mentioned I got a, a job out of a sales um, or out of college project, and the company that we did this college project on was a technology sales company. And one of the pieces of my part of our, you know, college project was to talk about their hiring practices. So I had to like find ads that they put in the newspaper and, you know, and what they looked for in salespeople. And there were two, two guys in my class that listened to my presentation. One of them came up to me and took the ad. He applied and he got a job there. And so then this other guy applied and he, and he was working at the mall. He was selling shoes so he got a job there and I thought, well, if they'll hire these two dudes, they might hire me too. So then I applied and that was really where I started learning my chops around sales because it was outbound, you know, dialing for dollars, selling technology that frankly, you know, the piece of technology I was selling, the least expensive version was like five grand, you know, and five grand to me in my early twenties was like, who could pay $5,000 for a piece of technology? And we were selling to companies and mostly, and primarily for me, I was selling into the education market because they're a huge procurer of technology. And so I kind of got my chops there. And again, I found a mentor. There was a mentor in the company. He was never my direct boss, but he loved people who wanted to excel and do well. And that was me. So I would just... I'll always be asking him sales questions and always be asking for feedback. And and he was kind of this rough kind of guy. And he just would, you know, it's like, here's somebody who wants to learn. I'll teach her. I'll show her. So he taught me a ton about sales. And he was actually my sales mentor for almost almost 20 years before he passed away. So I just, you know, I just continue to always look for mentorship, I will say, in my opportunities. 
I feel like I got a sidetracked on the question, but <laughs> I love it though. I mean, I think that the mentor piece is such a key part of your story. And I know yeah. a lot of folks say, well, how do you find a mentor? And you just, you just said the formula, which is someone who's interested in you. And then you ask them a question and then you take their advice and you yeah. put it into action. And then the most important piece is you go back and tell them what happened. Yeah. And you close the Keep- loop. And yeah, then you, keep, you keep, keep asking and you keep getting, you hearing what they're saying from their wisdom and their learned, learned and lived experience. And you say, okay. And then you go and you try stuff and you go back to them. I think the mistake people often make is they ask someone for advice and then they either do or don't do it at all. Sometimes they don't mm-hmm. take it, um, right. but they might do it and they never close the loop. And yeah. that's how you never stop. You don't establish a relationship if you don't close the loop. And so it sounds like you were really good at sort of that piece and so you develop this 20 year, you know, connection um, that guides you mm-hmm. at, at some point, you know, you're moving from product to product and you're, you're doing all this within the context of companies. So mm-hmm. they're the ones selling you what widgets to sell. And you're yep. just like, I have a skill. I can do that. Yes. When did you realize you wanted to shift from that to entrepreneurship and like that, that piece of that journey? Well, so I, at that point, I had been in the tech space for about 17 years and I had had a lot of success. I, I had moved to the manufacturer level, um, you know, running a territory like regional sales manager, running a, you know, multi million dollar territory. And I was just about to turn 40, actually. <laughs> and I found myself standing at a trade show. And when you sell technology, you do a lot of trade shows. And I was uh, like, at one point I was doing a hundred trade shows a year. It was crazy. So I was here, I was the Saturday morning doing another trade show, just about to turn 40 and realized I knew every single person or at least one person at every single booth for this show that we were setting up. And in some ways that's super satisfying, right? You built these great relationships, but I thought, I don't want to be talking to these same people in 10 years when I'm turning 50. I love these people. It's not that I want to cut them out of my life, but I need some new people. I I need something new. And that's when I got really interested in like, what does that mean? Because I'm probably going to have to leave the industry. And I had started studying a couple of years before I had started studying neuro-linguistic programming. And I don't know if that's a new term, but it's essentially the study of communication. My NLP teacher had moved... Um, to the state that I was living in. And I was assisting her on weekends when I wasn't traveling for work. And I was helping her kind of start like her business. And I knew I wanted to leave, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. Like I knew I wanted to leave the industry because I felt like it was time to kind of branch out, but I didn't know what that meant. So she said, well, you could come work for me and help me build my business, which so I left the industry. People thought I was crazy because I left this, you know, really high paying job. And I went to work for what would have been like a minimum wage job after the first year of working for her. Um, but that was when I started hanging out, hanging around entrepreneurs. And I hadn't really spent a lot of time around entrepreneurs because I was in this, you know, corporate world working with these corporate people. And um I just love entrepreneurs. I was so inspired by them. I say like, I almost just wanted to like rub up against them because they were like so passionate. And I was like, maybe some of their passion will rub off on me. And as I started getting to know entrepreneurs, I realized that a lot of them were really struggling to make money in their business. And a lot of times that goes back to, you know, you know, the saying, like, if you don't make money in your business, you have a hobby. 
But the thing that they really struggled with was the sales conversation. But I had kind of honed that. I had my NLP skills. I had my sales skills. And so I just started teaching some of them on the side, just because mostly I wanted to spend time around these like super cool people. And my business, I really fell into my business from there because somebody pulled me aside and said, why are you not teaching people how to sell? And I was like, who would pay for that? That is dumb. (laughs) And so here I am nine years into my business and people pay me money to talk and teach them how to sell. And it's the best gig I've ever had. Who in their right mind would pay you to teach them how to sell? I love that line. I love that. Like, I think that mental block is real. There's, it is. there's some truth to that. Like when it, when something you do comes, I don't want to even say naturally, because clearly you worked at it, but when you get yeah. to the point where you're really comfortable with a skill or mm-hmm. it's a natural born skill, you don't value it the way others would who are struggling. Um, but that moment you were talking about where you knew it was time to leave your career but you didn't yet have a beacon that you were drawn to. I think that's a moment too, that a lot of people get really stuck. And you had an out, which was NLP was interesting to you. Mm -hmm. You had built a relationship with this person. They Mm -hmm. needed you. Like you knew you could do something of value to help them get established. Um, Clearly you'd built your life up in a way where the money wasn't the driving force. And, you know, I get how you fell into this business next, because you were trying to offer value, you were trying to help, you wanted to be around these people. You yeah. were you were feeling inspired. And For it is sure. funny how someone had to like literally pull you aside and say, um, this is a business. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know? And then it all happens, right? Like then it's like just falls into place. And it's like, oh, click. And I and I have a um a model called uh discover your ideal um client where it's your experience. Your, well, I call it your expertise, your expertise, your passion. That's a Venn diagram, the overlap of those two. And then the last part of the Venn is a circle that is impact and income. So you had the expertise, you had a passion, like you literally were doing this for free. Like that's mm-hmm. passion to me. If, you, if there's something yeah. you're so excited about, I'll just talk about it. No, sure. We want to talk about it right now. Let's just do that. That's yep. passion. And then when people realize, wow, I can, this is something I really would value. It would help me. That's the impact. So much so I want to pay you. Like I feel compelled to re to reimburse your time because this has been so helpful to me. And when you can find that then of someone who wants to expertise that you have, you know, passion about, so much so they they want to pay you for your time because they can see the value. Like that's that's the business. Like if and I think yeah. too many times we chase things and like if you have expertise and you have passion, but you're not getting paid, that's your hobby. Like Yeah. <laughs> That's totally the hobby. If you have yeah. expertise and people are willing to pay you, but it's not your passion, well, that's that's the burnout, right? And then the trap the would job. be, yeah, that's the job. That's the paying the bills. And then if yeah. you have passion, but no expertise and people are paying you, you're probably feeling a little burnt out in a different way. It's more of a trap of like, oh my God, I have to keep hustling. I got to keep learning, you know, imposter syndrome. Why yes. would they pay me? What do I know? But I mean, I want to keep learning this, but it's taking so much time and like you, it's too much. Like it's, you can't. So I found like you found that sweet spot client because you were just showing up, like you were offering value in such a big way. Thank you. And I will say that I'm, I am somebody who is willing to do things. Like I, I don't, I don't suffer from perfectionism. Like I'll just do something. I'll try something. And, and I kind of keep this like 
we'll see what happens. <laughs> like I just put on a two day virtual event and people were asking me like, how was it? You know, like did it was the first time I've ever done like what I did. And they were like, you know, did you get out of it what you wanted? And I was like, well, not yet. I don't know yet. You, you know, ask me in 10 months, ask me in a year, like, was it worth my time? I don't know. I don't regret doing it. It didn't hit what I wanted, like goal-wise that I set for myself. But I also know for me, I'm kind of the like, you know, the tortoise in the hair. <laughs> like I'm the slow one. It takes me a while to pick up momentum, but man, I'm willing to stick with it. And once I get momentum, like I roll. I just Yeah, there, there is something to being willing to take ideas and put them into action so you can learn from them because even imperfect action will, will be a learning. But yeah. just think, thinking perfect thoughts will not get you the learning. No. <laughs> um, and, and, and 10 years later, you won't have advanced if you just think about things you want to do differently in your life. And like you are a, a, a think about it and then do it, you know, personality. And it sounds like that's something you've had for a while. And you've also been great about finding mentors and relationships around you. And I'm curious, as you built up the sales business, did any of your network from your, your career time frame like help you like did you end up leaning into any of that network as you were building the business initially they didn't and then i think because everybody thought i had lost my mind like there was actually a rumor started in the industry that i had joined a cult because people are like what's this nlp thing why would she leave this great job you know she was so well known and blah 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 like it was this crazy thing um, I don't know who started the rumor and I don't know how well it went, but it, it was funny to me that people would think like, you know, crazy, like I'd lost my mind and maybe I did. I don't know, but I turned out to be the best decision I ever made. And there's just something about, I think, testing, like being willing to test. I feel like I lost my my like answering the real question that you asked me, but I just like to test things out and see what will happen. And eventually you, once you did figure out that you were selling the services of how to sell, yeah, were you able to tap into your existing network? Oh, to help so that's you what you that? asked me. Sorry. I got, I got sidetracked there. Uh, initially, no, one of my big clients from the industry ended up hiring me to do some sales training so every time they would hire new sales reps, they would fly me in and I would train them. The first couple of years of my business, that was a pretty significant amount of income. Not not huge, but enough. Like it was probably, I think the most it was ever, maybe like 15% of the total revenue that I was bringing in. And so they helped me with that in that they just believed in me. Like they they knew the quality of, you know, what I would bring to the table because I was always there. You know, they still say like, you're our best sales rep. And um, so being able to teach them and and then at some point I kind of transitioned away. And what I found is over the years, people who kind of thought I'd lost my mind now will come back and be like, well, now maybe I need some help with sales. So I do pro probably maybe once a year get hired by somebody from my like former life that will come and be like, will you come do a sales training for our team? Whereas at first they were kind of like, you're crazy. Like, why would you leave this industry? So that I don't, it didn't really, it didn't really move the needle. Mm -hmm. I have had to build a whole new network after leaving. That's really hard. Network. That's, I mean, a lot of what I'm teaching people is how to 
identify and discover likely prospects from within their existing network and do the research calls and run the pilot and all of that. And so because of the way you left so abruptly in a way that no one could understand um, and the rumors that flew, you didn't have that. And you also didn't go directly into selling like this service. No. You, you went into helping someone else do something and there's this mm-hmm. gap of time. Um, how did you start to build up who your like likely prospects and ideal clients were going to be? Well, I started networking to build this other person's business. So that was the first time I started actually attending like networking meetings. And I remember being in a room for the first time ever. I was in a room with a hundred professional business women at a networking event. Never had I, because I came from a very male dominated industry. I'd never been in a room with a hundred like women business owners before. And I, again, I was super inspired by it. And some of them just wanted to like, you know, when I would talk about what I was doing and maybe I would offer a piece of advice here or there for them on how they could, you know, improve their sales or, you know, at networking meetings, I hear a lot of buying signals. People are giving me buying signals, but they're giving other people buying signals. So I act on those. And people were often like, how did you book a client? I've never booked a client at a networking meeting. Like, why why are people pulling out their credit card and handing you their credit card, Nikki? Like, it was just, it kind of came natural to me. So then people wanted to know how to do it. So really, I think I started just doing like mini strategy sessions with people. And then I hired a coach right away. Because again, I believe in mentorship. I really commit to my personal and professional development. I hired a coach and he said, build a training course. So I built this five-week, I think originally it was like 12-week training course. Then I paired it back to five weeks. And and my business just kind of continued to grow. And every time somebody would ask me, will you come speak at our group? I would say yes. You know, like I just always say yes to things. And so, you know, there were times where I was speaking at like diners where the super loud music was playing. People couldn't even hear me. You know, at the end, people were like, gosh, I wish I could afford to buy your $10 book, you know, stuff like that, where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the wrong room. But I just kept going because every time I would go and speak or every time I would teach a course or every time I would do a strategy session with somebody, maybe not every time with all of those, but my next opportunity would present itself. Somebody else would show up and go, I need some help with sales or have, you know, like, have you ever done this, Nikki? Like, could you do this? And sometimes my answer is like, I could do it, but I'm not going to. Sometimes my answer is like, I hadn't really thought about it. If I charge you this for it, (laughs) like, will you pay me? And they're like, yeah. So then, you know, that just became the business really kind of rolled from there. I've it's hopefully not, become more strategic over the yeah, years. Yeah, no, it's it's in the beginning though, there is a lot of like see what sticks and there's like yeah. there are ways to get mentorship and coaching to help you, you know, lessen some of those early hurdles um and like speed up that cycle of of testing so that you're not waiting, you know, three years for results. I think that's one of the things that's so aggravating is um I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who by the time they come to me for coaching, they've spent a year and a half to three years banging their head on what they know is the perfect solution and no one wants to buy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they've been doing a lot of the building of it in in private and not building um, conversations around the thing they're creating and not, you know, they haven't done all the work, but they can't, they can't understand why like it, their genius thing isn't being like bought like hotcakes. And um, you were like testing smaller offers, smaller opportunities and not just putting all your eggs in this one big thing. And like, so I, I think that's, that's where having a coach early on probably helped you move through that process of, of in 
innovation and uh, iterating like look quicker. I mean, it's just, there is a, there's a lot of that that has to happen. It's just a question of like, and also the emotional baggage of when things don't work, it sounds like because you don't have the perfectionist, you know, streak, you're, you're letting go of that and saying like, Oh, this is what I took from it. You know, like, and I think other people that <laughs> the, the feeling about the feeling is like, what gets in their way yeah. of doing it again. Cause they're like, I don't yeah. want to feel bad about that again. Um, because I don't know, because you can't know from the start how successful something will be until you do it. And um, now at this point in your, in your business, who is the ideal person for you to work with? Like, if I were meeting with someone, how would I know they were the person to introduce to you? Well, an ideal person for me now, I primarily work with women. I still, I do work with some men, but I target women because I think they make a huge impact when they make money in their business, they make an impact in their life and in their family and their community. So I love that piece. But so for me, it's a woman who's been in business for at least a year because she now understands some of the things that you just articulated. She understands you can't just put up a website and people are just going to flock to it and pay you money. She needs to learn how to sell. She needs to understand the structure of a sales conversation and how to be more impactful and strategic. So it's a woman who's been in business for at least a year and who is ready to elevate to that next level of their business. So these can be, I mean, I work with women who are starting out and I also work with women who have seven figure businesses and want to just continue to elevate from there. And I find that a lot of times it's just those, it's it, for me, a lot of what I teach, I always say is it's the tiniest little tweaks to things that you're doing or the things that you're saying that if you could just make this tiny little shift, if we could change a word here, if we can rephrase the sentence, if we can change the way that you're forming the question that you're asking, all of a sudden it like opens the door, it builds rapport. People are more apt to like want to hear what you have to say. They're more apt to, you know, take a chance and hire you. All these things happen. So now it's it's usually just the woman who's ready to level up in, yeah. in her business in some way. I love that. I'm definitely going to keep all this in mind. Um, you know, I have sort of two parts of my business. I produce virtual events. I'm a virtual event design consultant and an executive Zoom producer. And that's primarily with organizations like nonprofits and associations. And that's the majority of my business. But I love coaching. And I, I sort of couldn't quit the idea of coaching. And so as a business growth strategy coach, I similarly work with entrepreneurial women in their 50s and beyond. And I say, and a few good men, <laughs> parenthetically. <laughs> I like that um, too who like are looking to grow their impact and income through some kind of new or revived revenue stream. And usually I'm working with people who are like not ready for you. Like it's interesting to know what you do because you're the refinement. I feel like before they hire you, they have to really have proven something about the thing they're selling. <laughs> like they have to have gotten some traction um, and then they can invest in how to like do all that better and like create systems and processes and hire teams. Um, and I end up offering often with talking to people on this first beginning, like, how do I even, I have an idea of like, and then what? Um, so this is really exciting to meet you. And I love one of the things I love about having a podcast is, you know, getting to meet qualified people who are doing good work in the world. My next, and we're getting close to wrapping up here. My next question though, is, was really specifically around how, how you've nurtured your network, because clearly the people in your world have helped you all along the way. You've sought out yeah. support and mentorship and coaches and just peers so you have your innermost circle, the people that you know you're going to stay in touch with. That's that's mm -hmm. cool. Then you, yep. I always wonder about that second and third tier or second and third layer out of the people you might see once a year at a conference. Um, maybe you work with them five years ago, but you haven't recently. These are people you like, I should mention. They like you, you like them. 
Um, how do you nurture and sustain those kinds of connections? Any habits, philosophies, practices? Well, I have one strategy. I call it a strive five. And I create a, what I call as a strive five list and the people who go on that list, that's there's five spots on it. And sometimes it's, it's specific to what it is that I'm looking to, to do. A lot of times it's like people that I want to um, get to know better or people who I think there might be a collaborative opportunity. There might be a strive five list. That's just for that. Um, and so I actively do things to put myself in situations where I can engage with them. So if I know they're going to go to a conference, I'm going to look to see, is that a conference that I might want to be at? And if they're going to be at the conference, can I reach out to them and ask them like, hey, can we meet for breakfast one morning? Or, hey, you know, if I can see that I can go sit by them, can we do that? Or I might initiate and say, you know, it's been a while since we've touched base. Like, what do you think about doing just a, a really quick catch up Zoom call or certain people in my life I Voxer with? I love Voxer. It's a service I offer to certain clients, certain level of clients, but my friends, my colleagues, my my support network, a lot of them, that's one of the main ways is ways that we stay in touch. So we Voxer regularly. So I go through my Voxer list and I go like, who's on my Strive 5? Who haven't I touched base with lately? You know, I need to reach out to them in some way, send them a nice little message, let them know I'm thinking about them, ask them how I can be a resource to them right now. Do they have something going on that I can share? So I really actively try to add value to the relationship. Yeah, I love that. I love that you've got um, it's, it sounds like it's a bit of organization, but not so much so that you're like confined by it. Um, for those who don't know, would you explain a little about what Boxer is? So Voxer is an app for your phone and they, I think the picture they have on it, it's like, it's a walkie talkie. That's what they kind of describe it as, but it's essentially, it cuts out the voicemail. <laughs> so you can leave somebody, well, you can text or leave an audio message. Most of my stuff is audio. And so you're not listening to somebody's voicemail. Like, thank you for calling. You've reached the voicemail for Nikki Rash. So that takes a bunch of time. You just see their name. You hit the little button. You you leave them an audio message. It shows up in their Voxer app and they can just play it. And they can play it on up to four speed. I also love that. So, you know, somebody who you love and you, you know, wants to leave you a really long message. I have a girlfriend who leaves me. You can only leave up to a 15 minute message, which let me tell you, that is a very long time. So she will leave me like 15 minute messages, but she gets played on three speed because I don't have 15 minutes to listen, but I do have five, <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of thing. So that's cool. It makes me think of my friend, Blake Fly, who um, shout out to Blake. He was um, been a guest, but he also was the host of my 300th episode. He interviewed me and, um, and Blake will send me a voice memo through Facebook messenger. Oh, okay. And yeah. um, similarly, like we just went back and forth and like made a decision on something. <laughs> with this like asynchronous voicemails back and forth and like a little bit of text, like a tiny bit of text. And then mostly just like the voicemail back and forth. And I was like, that, that felt really efficient. <laughs> like I could respond when I was available. It happened at one moment that we were both seemed to be on the same time. So it really was a flurry, like a mm -hmm. very much walkie talkie kind of moment. And yeah. other times, like you just let the message sit until you're ready to get back to it. And I thought, wow, compared to like email or scheduling a zoom call, like, this was getting to the thing like and i love voice or video because sometimes i can't type as fast as i can think you know right. i want to like talk things through and it feels like i so i love the idea of using boxer with friends um 
Another one, uh, I've forgotten the name. Of, oh, Marco Polo Marco is another Polo. one that does video. Um, yeah. So my friends and I, we actually do have a little Marco Polo video chains that go back and forth and we like revive them now and again. So I think these these are great tools to mention because I think sometimes we're we're stifled by, you know, we can only do it in these three ways. And then those three ways aren't working for you. And you're like, well, let's just come up with new options. Um, and it sounds like you're also using this with some of your higher level clients as a way to offer quick feedback. And um, that's really interesting for me as a way to like organize those relationships too. Um, but it, it it seems like more than anything, you're just trying to stay top of mind and provide value. So I, I love all of that. Um, thrilled we met. And I'm, I'm going to give us our wrap up question, which is actually one of my favorite. A year from now, like I'm going to first say that Nikki, we're going to stay in touch and we're going to have a conversation after this to talk about how we're going to do that. But let's say it's a year from now. And I say, oh my gosh, Nikki, a year ago, I interviewed you. I want to know when I say, hey, what's been going on in the past year? What are we going to be celebrating a year from now that you've been up to? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Well, one of the things that I am really committed to is figuring out a new source of revenue in the business. Not at, uh, let me clarify, not in the sales maven business, but a new source of revenue for me using the money that I have earned in sales maven and doing something else with that that will generate another revenue stream for me. So I have some ideas of what that one might be, but that's what I would like to be talking about a year from now is that I've I've created money in my business that I now have turned into, and I heard one of my friends say this recently, Michelle Cooper, turned into a wealth creation opportunity. I love it. I cannot wait to both celebrate that with you and talk to you about how I can help you make that happen. This has been such a great conversation, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks how for can people me. find you and follow your work? Well, I'll wrap it around a gift if that's okay for your audience. So I have an ebook. It's called Closing the Sale. It talks you through kind of some of the, the language piece of how to make it a really easy, seamless process. And it's about boosting your confidence in those sales conversations. You can get that if you go to uh, my website, which is yoursalesmaven.com forward slash schmooze for your audience. So you can get the the ebook and then we'll be connected. I'd love to, I'd love to hear any kind of a takeaway, or if you want to share your story, I feel like I shared a lot about my story. So if you listened and, and it resonated with you in some way, please reach out and share your story with me. I love it. We're going to put all kinds of links to how to reach you in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Nick, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nikki. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 307. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges to find success in their field or industry. I'll ask them probing questions and get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.
Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.